0: As we go through the Gospel of Matthew, there'll be a lot of questions that come to Jesus, and sometimes he'll answer with a question, and sometimes he'll, he'll answer the question, and sometimes he won't even say anything. So tonight we get we get a question coming at Jesus, and he answers it. It seems to be a sincere question, and then it opens up the door for what we're going to look at tonight. So we pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 9. It says that, Then the disciples of John came to him. That's the disciples of John the Baptist. They came to Jesus, and they saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? It's a religious theological question. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So he answers the question with a question, and then he says, well the answer would be no, because he's the bridegroom and he's with the people, so he he gives them a question to think about it, which would say, explain the context of Their question and his answer to their question with a question. Then he explains it. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm the bridegroom, and when I go to glory, then the disciples will fast uh, as what we see in scriptures as they might feel led. But never under the law in a legal sense, but fasting under a a self-determined sense as led by the Lord. So he answers their questions. The question was theological. He, an- he answers with the question, and then he explains his answer from the question. But then he, he gives this additional thought process that really puts in motion what we're going to look at tonight. So he gives them um, an everyday example of old and new, which is the context of the questions being asked and answered with the question. No one, verse 16, puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, if you are familiar with Calvary Chapel Ministries, as many of you are, you would know that this is a verse that Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, used to really love to talk about and reference quite often, because when you go back to the Jesus revolution and the Jesus movement of the late 60s, early 70s, it was what he would refer to time and time again as new wine. It just, the hippies and what God was doing, it didn't fit in the structured church of the mid-60s and that sort of a feel denominationalism, and all that order, and whatnot, but in the, G- in the Jesus Revolution, at the same time as the Summer of Love, 68, and all these things that impacted our country, and the world so profoundly, God moved in the lives of these hippies, and that's the birth of Calvary Chapel Ministries, and many other ministries, like Vineyard, and others, and many of the community churches, uh, nationwide, and even worldwide, that exist that are considered evangelical, are have a spiritual DNA related to the Jesus Revolution. Of course, the movie on Gregory's life last year really powerfully showed that to our nation and even the world, what happened during that amazing, eventful time, which I remember as a kid, and many of you remember and were even there during the 10 days at Calvary Costa Mesa, some of you here tonight. He would refer to what God did with the hippies in the late 60s as new wine and new wineskin, and these hippies come into church without shoes on and like peace, love, and drop out they didn't fit in the suit and tie type of churches that were the cultural religion of America at the time. There, that's nothing against the suit and tie churches like that existed. But they 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 were new wine. The Jesus movement was new wine. It had to go in a new wineskin. And to bring those hippies into the the, the structured churches, it, it wasn't gonna work. So as Pastor Chuck said, tear out the carpets and let's go forward and let's just kind of redo this and rethink this. And that was the new wine and new wineskin. So for us, particularly, if you have a Calvary Chapel background, we, we understand how this passage has been historically taught, or certainly I do as a Calvary pastor, for 35 years. And referenced by Calvary Chapel leaders at pastor's conferences I attended uh, throughout my journey. But in the context, it's noteworthy because he says there's old and new. Right? There's an old garment, and you need a new cloth on it. There's an old wineskin, there's new wineskin. And really, the context would indicate that Jesus is talking about, like, what was the Old Testament, the law. And he already said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't think I came to counsel the law, but I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He lived the perfect sinless life. He fulfills the Ten Commandments perfectly, morally, without failure, from start to finish. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us when he died on the cross in our place. And so he died for our sins, and when he put our faith in him, his righteousness from perfectly fulfilling the Ten Commandments is then reckoned to our account. It's like an electronic deposit in your bank account spiritually. You, just, you won the lottery because we put our faith in Jesus. So we're forgiven of this massive debt we could never clear because the one without sin died for our sin. And then we receive this massive deposit, if you will, declared righteous as righteous as Jesus because his righteousness is imputed to us. We get the massive deposit. That's what happened when we went from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Now, the law is good. The Ten Commandments is good, plus the religious law and the, more, and the civil law that is encompassed in the law of Moses, which is the concept, the background of Jews at this time in, in Jesus being there. And he's above the law because he gave the law, and he fulfills the law. So in the context here, the, this, the question by the disciples of John seems very sincere. Like, we don't understand, like, because in the law, you're called to fast at certain times. But your guys don't fast. We fast. We're disciples of John the Baptist. We fast. And the Pharisees fast. Together, we fast. We understand this. And why don't you and your guys fast? Like, they're looking at Matthew having a good time at the table, not fasting. And they've concluded, like, well, this doesn't make sense. If you're really spiritual, you would fast like, like we do and the Pharisees do. And Jesus said, hey, that's the old, this is the new. That's not bad. This is new. So, essentially, what he's tipping the cards on here is that what we read in Hebrews, that the Old Testament, the the covenant, the law, is an old covenant, as it says in Hebrews, is becoming obsolete and now is obsolete. That's how we're told by the, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, like we've been reading about going through Chronicles and all these books of the Old Testament, they can never take away sin. That's the Old Testament. But Christ came once to do what the blood of bulls and goats and sheep could not do. God died for our sins because an animal sacrifice is not acceptable for us. It'll hold it off. It's like a, a Band-Aid on a mortal wound. But the real cleansing has to come. Jesus is died once for all that we can be forgiven and cleansed and go forward in the power of the Spirit to the new life that God has for us. So we're told in Hebrews, the New Testament, by the blood of bulls and goats, no one is justified. And it's identified with the old covenant, the covenant they had when Christ came for 1,500 years, known as the Mosaic Covenant, with the Ten Commandments and all the religious law. We're told, when Christ died and rose from the grave and ascended the Father, that he made that obsolete. And we see in the book of Acts where in the early church, there were Pharisees and priests who thought, well, you believe in Jesus, but you got to keep the law. So that means you know, these, these Gentiles, non-Jews, who gave their life to Jesus and are really happy in the joy of the Lord, they're coming out of all these horrible lifestyles, and they're just rejoicing. No, it's not. they're like, it's not that easy. No, no, no. You have to be circumcised like a Jew. Like, well, what's that got to do with anything? And you need to keep the law. Well, what part of the law? And how do we know if we're really keeping the law? The church early on was Jewish, and they said, it's Jesus, these people came in the church, not the apostles, but these people came in the church and said, it's Jesus plus the law, old and new, the unshrunk garment on the, on the old garment, the new wine trying to put in the old wineskin. It never works. Jesus plus the law never works. If you've ever tried to justify yourself, even in Jesus' name, it never works. We're saved by grace, not by works. So anytime we say, Jesus plus me keeping the Ten Commandments, I'm saved You're you're putting an unshrunk patch on an old garment. That's what you're doing. You're putting new wine, old wineskin, and it's going to be ruined. See, we're told that the law, in Galatians, Paul said that the law was our tutor, our instructor, to point us to Christ. And even in Romans, Paul says that the law, when we read the Ten Commandments, if we're really honest, we'll be like, well, I'm not getting to heaven by keeping this, because I can't keep this. Because no matter how good I do, I'm going to break the streak and have a bad day and break this law. And we're told in the law, if you break one part of the law, even once you're guilty of all the punishment of the law. So it's a pass fail. And even just one little hiccup, we fail. And some of us are better than others in society and how we carry ourselves and how we treat people. But we all fail. We all miss the mark. So it's not Jesus. We're saved by grace. So we come to Jesus. We're not going to come to Jesus and then add the law to justify ourselves. It's not Jesus plus the law. And when you read the book of Acts in chapter 15, they have the whole council because that was the problem. And Paul kept running into this and he would be preaching grace and people being saved by grace like at a harvest crusade. And they go home and some Judaizer gets home like, oh, no, no, it's not that easy. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to, you know, do this and wear the box on your forehead or whatever and all these. Like, how's that even? What's Jesus got to do with that? But you will find many people and they give their life to Christ, even in 2024 when people will, They'll run into somebody who says, say, well, it's not that easy. It's Jesus plus speaking in tongues to know you're saved. It's Jesus plus, you know, reformed theology to know you're saved. You see what I'm saying? Like people tack on, it's Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. You're not really saved if you don't believe exactly this way or this. No, not so. We're saved in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, once and for all. We're saved by his blood. And in his resur- death and resurrection is our justification And you can never let anyone move you from being saved by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our hope from the day of the Lord is the promises of Christ, not my efforts in the flesh to add something to his finished redemptive work on the cross. This is the good news of who we are tonight. We're singing these songs. See, we're not singing these songs like, someday I'm going to sing the song and I'll have arrived. Yeah, When you're in eternity. But this side of eternity... You know, sometimes you sit in here and you sing songs, you feel better than you felt last week because things are going better this week and everything's good at home, and there's harmony and there's unity and all is good in the world with you and the Lord and your neighbor. Sometimes you come in here, you don't want to sing because it's like you kicked the dog, you yelled at your wife, and you got you know got in trouble at work. But in the midst of those things that go up and down in the human experience every year, every month in our life, our positional righteousness never changes. So when Jesus says they both hold together, Paul said the law is good. And when I meditate on the Ten Commandments every day which I do, I'm reminded this is good. I'm not going to get lost. This is my compass. These are ten things that just aren't... It's it's absolute righteousness. You'll have no gods before the Lord your God. You won't make any carved images of the Lord. I don't intend to. I'm not going to. If you want to, well, that's your business. If you want to write a polemic explaining it, that's your business too. I'm just not going to do it. You know, to. To not use the Lord's name in vain. Every time I hear someone use the Lord's name in vain, I'm like, eh. don't you do that, some of you? Don't you cringe when you hear people use Jesus' name in vain? I mean, like when people like, you just go, oh, man, don't do that. That's a, that doesn't look good on the day of the Lord. So, you know, and of course, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet. Those are, those are never going to change. So the law is good, it's true, it's righteous, and as Paul said, if something could justify us, it would justify us, but we can't keep it, so it cannot justify us before God. We're saved by grace through faith, and the works that we do are the works of the Spirit working through our life, fulfilling his workmanship for which we were created in this destiny with Jesus Christ, which we're going to get to in a minute, but we've got to get our context here. We want to make sure we understand the old and the new. So when Jesus says they're both good, that's why I teach the Old Testament, Well, people go like, oh, I don't read the Old Testament. It's like, well, you should. Because all scripture is profitable for all things. And haven't we had a great time in Chronicles and Samuel and Judges and you know Esther and Ruth? I mean, that's why we're gonna have a good time with Jesus in the book of Job. But all that in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and Jesus fulfills it. So that being said. The old covenant is passed away and no one gets saved by fulfilling the things of the old covenant because they're pointing us to Jesus to be saved through faith in the one who fulfills the law, Jesus Christ. He had already told us that in the Sermon on the Mount, as I said earlier, and here now we come full circle where he says to these guys, I mean, you guys are worried about fasting with the Pharisees. You're, you don't, you're missing the whole point. See, they were doers. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're going to earn this. They're doers. He's like, no, that's not how it works. So this is an early tipping of the cards, if you will, for what would be explained so clearly in the book of Acts, chapter 15, in the New Testament canon of scriptures, in Galatians, and Romans, and Hebrews. That's our context. So the primary application in its context is we're saved by grace, and that through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the law is good, and it's going to always be a standard of right and wrong for an individual Morally, and it's going to always be a standard of right and wrong for a family and a society. But it can't save us. That's our context. Old and new. Which brings us now going forward to our application for the night. As we think about this passage, I want to draw your attention to the word old. (laughs) We'll start with old. Because things get old. Your car is old, it breaks down when you're on the 605. You know, your house gets old, you got to get it termited, that's a couple grand, you know, your windows get old in Florida, you got to replace them with hurricane windows for a better insurance price. Things get old. You've got a septic system in rural Vista, hey, you don't do anything with it for 30 years, guess what, it doesn't work anymore, you got to fix it and replace it. Everything gets old. But just because something gets old doesn't mean it's not of value, in general, and particularly people, were told in Titus that older women should minister to younger women and older men should minister to younger men. We should hold in esteem those people who are older who have been faithful in the faith and honor them. Again, in Asian cultures, you just respect your elders no matter what. Even if there's an elder by nine months, you res- refer to them with honorifics and you speak to them properly. That, that age is a big factor. You know, can vary from cultures, but that's really important. As we think about old and new, I want to think about you personally. I want to bring application to you personally as we're saying goodbye to 2023 and hello to 2024, and as we're thinking about what has been and what will be and even where we're at tonight on the 30th of December. So I might move around a little bit, but I really want you to be thinking in terms of you, your life, if you're married, your family, your kids, and all those things, because little kids grow up and they're adult kids and they cost more, not less, right? All these things run their journey in the experience of life and you'll find your application. So there's, a, there's lessons and legacy of the past with the old. That's the first thing I want to point out is where the word is used, old garment and old wineskin. The past is an old garment and an old wineskin tonight. That's an old, like so as we're saying goodbye to 2023, we're saying goodbye to an old garment and an old wineskin. It is the past. What you did with 2023 is what you did with it and what how you grew or didn't grow, was your choice and your stewardship for all eternity with it, and what you can learn from it, how you can apply lessons from it, is it's really up to you. But there are lessons and legacies of the past, and of course, as you get older, you now you get a, a greater pa- uh, past. I'm 62, so I, my my resume of the past keeps you know 1961 just keeps getting farther and farther away. So my resume of the past just keeps building and building and new adventures with that, and it moves behind us. And as you think about the past, old garments and old wineskins, I just want to remind us tonight of God's faithfulness. When we think about the past personally in our lives, it should remind you of God's faithfulness. Because one thing we're absolutely sure of is that God has been faithful to all of us in our past. The fact that we're here at church on December 30th, or listening to this study, shows that you know God has been faithful enough that we're even drawn to spiritual things at the end of the year that we're trying to build up our spiritual woman, our spiritual man, and we're moving toward kingdom things, and we're seeing, we want to grow in those things that matter the most. And so, whatever the past was, God was faithful to us in the past. His faithfulness in all the circumstances that we've been through, maybe in this last year, or in our life in general. When I attended my friend's Paddle Out Memorial a couple weeks ago down in Oceanside, he's in the Skateboarding Hall of Fame, and if you've ever been to Oceanside Harbor, South Jay, there's little, you know, hutches where you can have a little picnic thing, kind of like how you have by river jetties here on the Brookhurst Access in Huntington. And that's where we're at. It's a little thing, some, some you know, permanent tables there. And I walked up, and, and the table, is all set up. It was like the memory of this person. So it had skateboards, you know, Cadillac wheels, Logan Earth boards from the 70s. Those of you know that that's timeline, they were there. And, and his most recent clothes and some photos from his career. See, when he passed away, he was single, and he lived on Hawaii. And people that loved him thought enough to, to bring his remains, half of his remains to California to do a paddle out for him, where he was from, North San Diego County. And I was contacted, as were other people. There was about 30 to 40 people there. But I, I just was looking at it. Was, it was a display of his life. Now, sometimes when you go to a memorial to church, they'll have the same thing, like something that reflects the person's life. I remember a famous tennis guy, had a memorial at Calvary Costa Mesa, and there in the lobby at Calvary Costa Mesa was all this tennis stuff and big blown up photos of tennis, you know, like in the 80s and like that kind of stuff. But this was skateboarding, and it was clothes. It was his clothes. And if you've never had to seal the fruit when someone you love passed away, there's clothes. Some of you already know that. But like with my mom, when she passed away, there's clothes. There's clothes in her closet. What do we do with the clothes? There's jewelry. What do we do with the jewelry? And this is the reality of life. But I was there looking at his stuff. And I was thinking, like, that he lived by himself, and they went into his, his house, and whoever it was, and they got his stuff out of there, and they were displaying. It was the reflection of his life when he stepped into eternity from his life. And it was a reflection of his past. It was, you know, Logan Ersky's skateboard from 1977. He had photos in the first... Issue of Surfer Magazine, and there it was. He had a pro model with a surf shop, and there's the ad in the surf magazines for his pro skateboard model. He's a pool rider, an empty pool rider. And I was like, well, it's all past." And the most recent thing he did, he was into uh, drones. He was all about drones, so some people testified. Yeah, all could talk about when he called me it was about the drones. And so he was obviously interested in drones, and he was in his mid to late 60s, and that was it. That, that's what his life was. What's your life? What's your life? What's my life? We go down Oceanside Harbor tomorrow and it's going to, you know, someone that knows you or someone, that, hopefully someone that really loves you and has a display, what, what's your life? What are we going to see? What's going to be the lessons and the legacy of your past? When I first got into ministry, I was very uncomfortable with my pro-surfing past because I wanted to go forward in my pastoral future. And whenever anyone came to the church in Virginia Beach, like, hey, this is Joy Brown, the pro-surfer, I'm like, I'm Joy Brand, the pastor. I, I really wanted to shed that identity. I want to be identified as the pastor, not the pro surfer. But after being a pastor for 10 years, I wanted to get rid of my pastor identity and be breathed down as the, the pro surfer. <laughs> okay, that's the truth. <laughs> and I found peace with the combination of the two, El Pastor Brand and El Tubo. That's me, the pastor in the tube. I eventually began to accept I'm going to always be known for my surfing career, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also always be known for my ministry, career, being a Calvary pastor for 35 years. And when people say they know me, there are some people that know me only as a pro surfer. They don't even know I've been a pastor for 35 years. And then there's some people, most people in ministry know me that like from K-Wave or something, but like you, you were a surfer, and that's all they know. But it's my, my some told my identity, and I think of you and, and you at the end of this year, there's a sum total of your identity, what the past reflects. The past of who you are, what you've been living for, what you've been doing, what your interest. Maybe you've been going to junior community college. Maybe you've got a new job, a new career. You're doing some self-education. You know, you've, you've added skills to your resume for employment. I mean, there, there is who you are that, that reflects. So the old is the old. That's what I'm saying. It, it, there's things you've done up to this point that is the past. And with the Lord, he has been faithful to you in it all. As you end this year, when you leave here tonight, just know this, that God has been faithful to you, and all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus' name, and they have all have been working to your behalf, particularly if you've given your life to Christ. They're all yours, and they're working for you. And whether you fully see them or not, we, by faith, can believe that they are working for you, and he's working on a future and a hope for you in all things. Because all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So as we finish this year, for what we get from the past is, is God's faithfulness and past experiences. Now, the funny thing about past experiences, some we really like, some we don't like. Me, winning the Pipeline Masters, being in the Hall of Fame, I like that. But the sins that I'm embarrassed of from my past, where I wrecked people's lives and did great harm to human beings, I don't like that at all. I don't like to think about it. And at times, they'll come into my mind, and there's things I just want to forget about, and I'm sure I speak for all of us. But there's lessons even from failure, of course, and there's lessons and legacies from the past of the old. And so when we think about the past here on the eve of New Year's Eve, 2023, there are things that can bring remorse. There are things that can bring gratitude. There are people we think of. There are events that happen in our life that we think of, that we chose or just came our way. But God has been faithful to you in your past, and he's been faithful to me. He he I said this before in writing a book. Just when it's forced me to think of his faithfulness, and now that we have other great editors involved in the book, they'll be like, What what were you thinking when this happened? Like, let's go deeper on this and l- let's talk about your sister more. You brought her up here, I- here, but now like you don't talk about your sister late in the book. What's your sister doing? I'm like, oh my goodness, my sister's story, I gotta tell you the story. And they're like, Well, we need this in the book. That's an amazing story. And so I've had people pulling out, you know, all these events in my life saying, what were you thinking? Where were you at with the Lord when this happened? What what were your emotions when you bought your first surfboard? You walked in that surf shop. What did it smell like? What did it look like? I'm like, it smelled like surf wax. And every board in there was a single fin. And there was trophies all around the top. There are Barbie Barron's trophies. And the surfer magazine on the stand was a surfer magazine with Booby Jones on the cover at Alamoana. See, pulling that stuff out. In Keith Randolph's book, 100 Secrets of Success, which you guys plundered over the last few weeks, by the way, good for you. I read it every day. I believe it's in his book. I got it somewhere, but it talks about a victory list. It's good to have a victory list. I review my victory list once a week, on the weekend. I have weekly reviews. I have 12 things I review. I have things I do every day, but I have things I do on the weekend, like water the plants, you know, iron my clothes. It's the consistency keeps me on track but i added a victory list to it this year and i look at my victory list on the weekend usually on sunday when i'm not in a hurry and i start with 1960s the 70s the 80s the 90s 2000 and i go right through all these accomplishments that happened in my life that i did even a proficiency high school diploma in 1979 1979 right and i just go and it's not everything but it's the main things and it reminds me of things that I've accomplished in the past. And it reminds me that the Lord was there with me in the past. It's a good idea. And I do think I got it from Keith's book. A victory list. I remind myself once a week of things that, were, that have happened in my life that were great. And they also they, the Lord was over them for their greatness. And it encourages me. My past encourages me for the uncertainty and the unknown of my future. Included in that past... Is successfully managing my dad's estate and financial and medical affairs, managing the, my mom's passing and all the things with the trust, selling her house, uh, disbursement of funds. I, it's actually in my victory list and if you've ever done it, it should be in your victory list too. If you've ever managed someone's estate to the final completion, death certificates, burial, and all that stuff. Let me tell you, you should give yourself a check in the box and a, and a, and a plaque for that. It's emotionally unbelievable. And it, it's, it should be on your victory list. And if you've never been there, when you come to it, you'll understand what I mean it should be on your victory list. It's on my victory list. What should be on your victory list right now? God's faithfulness to you and the accomplishments that you've done through faith and obedience— or greatness just through the skills he's given you, what should be on your victory list? Because you need to know what that is, because it's who you are on this day and it shapes who you're gonna be tomorrow. It's gonna shape who you are tomorrow for the great things God has for tomorrow. Because I'm not living on the victory list from nineteen eighty four or even twenty twenty one. I'm looking at the victory list for twenty twenty four and what's coming next. But that old garment, that old wineskin, that that's that's a that's a victory list. You don't have to have a victory list like Keith said to do, but you know, me and Keith hang out a lot. And we think a lot alike. And it's like, I really like the victory list. It's something to think about. Maybe before this year is done, why don't you write down a little list in the next 48 hours of all things you can think of, maybe from the time you're born where you see God's faithfulness and reference that on occasion. For me, I'm referencing it on the weekend. It happens on those weekly reviews. And every time I'm like, Wow, I did live my dream. I was a really good swimmer. I I did, I won the, you know, I beat the world champion, in my first pro contest. Like it really happened. You know, I did graduate high school. See, there's proof of it right there. You know, like and, and it encourages me. We need to be encouraged with God's faithfulness from the past and stirred up to go forward with the with the new adventures for the future because faith is a sudden thing to hope for The but it's not yet seen. So he wants what he's gonna do in the future. You You need to pull from the strength of his faithfulness in the past to find the courage for the steps of faith in the future. That's what you need to do. We can't live on, as it says in Jeremiah, broken cisterns that held water last year. No, we got to go forward with living water for this year. It's forward, onward, and upward, and that requires faith. So think about your victory list and that old patch, that old garment, that old wineskin. Give it some thought and thank the Lord for it and reflect upon it to find encouragement and strength for your future in this new year. 2023, what is those things? Yes, the victory list. Think about it. Number two, there's the future, the new things. There's new wine, and there's new wineskins, and there's the new, the new cloth that would have gone on the garment. So the word old is there twice, and the word new is there, and or unshrunk, and then they put new wine into new wineskins. So the future, and so we're on the cusp of sealing the fruit, of 2023 and we're on the verge of 2024 right around the corner and so now we're thinking about the future if the past is God's faithfulness the future is personal faith if the if the old wine is God's faithfulness preserved like a photo album then the future is personal faith because we got to go forward in personal faith faith is everything looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, everything that's got, the more that we invite the Lord to be in our life, he's going to cause us to take those steps of faith. And when you take those steps of faith, your faith is encouraged. It's a compound effect. You see his faithfulness here, 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 and you realize we can do this. You learn to discern the voice of the Lord. You learn to trust in his promises and, and you've got your victory list. that's your resume that you know is proof of what he's done in the past. It strengthens you to take steps of faith in the future. The future requires personal faith. Not just any faith, not faith in faith, or faith in man, or faith in an abstract God of your imagination, but faith in the person of Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, for whom all things, and whom all things consist, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and ever lives and intercedes for his people, the church of Jesus Christ. Faith in him, the, the one who's coming for you as the author and finisher of your faith, the one who laid down his life for the sheep, and is coming for you as Lord of all on the day of the Lord for us. Uh, speaking with someone today, going through crisis, and they're just trying to tell their one family member to trust in Jesus. Just say, I, "I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you, Jesus." If th- if those are the only words you could speak in 2024. Let me tell you, those are the most important words you could speak in 2024. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm look-. If you're going to give positive affirmation for something in your spirit, mind, body, soul, and emotion, your total person, I'm looking to you, Jesus is a really good sentence to say over and over and over to remind ourselves who we are looking to and who's going to deliver us. We call upon the Lord, when we call upon the Lord, we're calling upon King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's lessons from the past, but there's vision for the future, and it requires personal faith. Vision and passion for the future. That's what, we, that's what the Lord wants us to have as we look to 2024. Vision and passion. The people without a vision perish. And then through Habakkuk, we see the Lord said, write the vision, make it plain, so those who read it can run with it. What's your vision for 2024? What's your vision with your, t- kind of like your template of a week? What's your week look like? Have you decided to manage your week? Have you decided to proactively plan your days the night before? It's a really good idea that you do. That way you're, you're like a football team ready to play the game. You're, you're playing the game. You know what you're trying to execute in the game plan you just rolling it tomorrow. You're on your heels. You're just responding to everything coming your way. Vision, passion. As I mentioned before, I've essentially got eight things that I, that I pray about and think about that I put anything in a template in, in, in my life. And it, the first one is my personal relationship with the Lord, personal growth. Then it's my family. Then it's my finances. Because if I manage my finances, I'm a faithful steward. And we give an account on the day of the Lord about stewardship. That's what Jesus taught us. And I'm not a burden to you. Anyone that doesn't take care of their finances, if they don't take care of their own family, they're worse than a non-believer. So, you know, family, you know, faith, family, f- finances. Those are the three. But I have vision for these things. I look at these things. These are my goals for these things, 2024. And then I have subdivided goals. I look at, like, I put it in front of my, I, I put it in front of myself, and it motivates me to get, have my hustle on and to get after things, and that, I don't want to keep growing. I want to keep going forward. I want to make a difference. And I want to fill my mind with things that move me toward the upper call of God in Christ Jesus and make me—increases uh, my education when I'm lacking education and practical skills, increases my faith where maybe I'm struggling in faith. And, of course, the Word of God all day, all day every day. The Word of God today's Second Timothy, Leviticus, Proverbs, Matthew, and Esther— Listen, it, it just keeps you on track. It, it builds up. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're reading the scriptures a couple times a day, your, your faith is going to grow. You're going to be built up. It's going to direct you. Your word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. It's going to guide us and lead us. So vision and passion for the future comes from having a sense of direction for the future. What new things? Like what's the vision and what new things can you learn for the future? Last year, I have a vision for, you know, the kingdom of God from when I'm gone. I, I believe I can, create, I can have more fruit in eternity from the, the first two decades after I'm gone than when I was here. I believe that. If Henry Ford can step into eternity, well, as Edsel Ford, if Edsel Ford, his son, can step into eternity at, in his early 40s with cancer and, and set up a foundation with 16 words that does 10 billion endowments for humanities. A hundred years after stepping into eternity, how, how much more can people of the kingdom of God do if they have a bigger, big enough vision or want to go for it, and at least attempt something? Elizabeth Elliot used to say, "The great woman of God, do something. <laughs> do something." Here you Wayne Gretzky said, "You miss every shot you never take." So start, you know, firing the puck at the net. You know, like go for something. So what I did this year is I got the book on foundations. I read it. I highlight it. I have notes on it. I review the notes. I don't think the foundations. Me right now, but if I want to do a foundation later in my life, I know how it works. I know there's 86,000 foundations in America that are tax exempt. But you know, I may, I like, I mentioned doing a foundation when I'm gone and have the kids and grandkids run it and do the kingdom and advance the gospel in Africa and the ends of the world when I'm gone for generations. Well, find out how it works. That's what you do. You want to know how to reach more people on the internet or social media? Then get books on it and read it and see what works. Study Taylor Swift. She's been more efficient than anyone in reaching people with social media, more than anyone in human history. What did she do? How did she do it? Success leaves a trail. Think about what you are, have a vision and passion for and what you're lacking to do it and do some homework and learn those skills and fill those things because what you don't know is your liability. What you do know is your equity. So figure out what, you need, what you're interested in and what you need to learn to do it. Make yourself better and make yourself more useful for the kingdom of God. Passion and vision. What is God calling you to do? Ten years ago, he called me to learn Spanish. I was joking with uh, Danny before service. The Chileans used to say I had my own Spanish. And anyway, you have your own Spanish. But the beauty of learning Spanish is I learned language because I didn't really do well in school in language. So I learned sentence structure, written communication. First, I had to learn that for a year. Then I learned Spanish and the conjugation of verbs and Latin languages. made it easier to learn Russian. And it's made it easier to learn Korean. Like, I am becoming, I can read some Korean. I'm telling you, you look at Korean like, I can read it. I know the alphabet. I know their sounds. And I know what these words are. My vocabulary is in the thousands right now. It's just fun. It keeps my mind busy and active. Some people do crossword puzzles. I learn foreign languages. But it all began with the Lord telling me to learn Spanish. In learning Spanish, I expanded my vision for people. And now what do I want to do 10 years later? I want to establish a foundation to preach the gospel for 100 years after I'm gone. That's what happens. St. Augustine, but Charlemagne, the great French king, said this. When you learn a foreign language, you gain a new soul because you learn the people of that language. And in 10 years, I've learned the Latin culture, Russian culture, and now Asian culture. Get a Get a big vision. Go out, make your life count. W. G. Body of Christ, get a big vision, and add the skills. It's easier to learn Korean ten years after learning Spanish because I learned the tricks and how you learn languages. It's easier, and it's fun. I can hear I can hear Asiatic languages, and I can almost say that's Cantonese, that's Mandarin, that's Korean, that's Japanese. Of course, Japanese is very easy to identify because I've been in Japan numerous times. What's your vision? What's what's the clarity of your vision? And and what is it that God wants to do in this new year? And I want to encourage you to get after it. Like it's your last year. Like someone's going to show up at Oceanside Harbor a year from now and see your clothes and see your stuff, see your trophy room, and that's going to be you. Get after it. Add to that resume. Add to that skill set. That's what I would say. Bring clarity of, of purpose to eternal things that God wants to do in your life and get after it. And when you get older, let me tell you younger people something, you're clearly gets sharper because you know you're on the clock. You can have all kinds of dreams when you're 18. Hey, listen, when you're 62, you've got certain, t- you already like, uh, someone said, do you still ski? I'm like, no, I don't like the cold. And last time I was skiing, I fell hard. I want to do it again. You just get, you know, it's, you know, 60 to 80 is giving up things you used to do in a lot of ways. But I'm going after things I can do that I've never done before. That's how we want to be with the kingdom. Paul said when I became a man I put away childish things. And you know I'm not going to go win the pipe masters in 2024. That was 1984. It's 40 years ago. But I am going to do other things for the kingdom that from glory to glory and you can too. And when you get older there's there's even greater clarity because you know you're on the clock. You're definitely on the clock. You're on the shot clock. Like a basketball game with the shot clocks went, you know you're on the shot clock. Maybe make a bucket list for the new year. Young people don't really make bucket lists. You know, it's kind of like day-to-day. Like, just going to do this, do that. But let me tell you something. When you get older, like, what do I want to do before I step into eternity? I said to Jennifer last week, you know, the Padres and Dodgers, did you know this? They're opening the season in Seoul, Korea, three-game series. Lifetime Padre fan right here. Hasan Kim, the Korean, plays for the Padres. At least half the fans will be in Padre year. When Onchotani makes his debut for the Dodgers, he's going to do it in Asia. In South Korea. Can you imagine all the Japanese people coming to Korea wearing Shohei Hotani gear and Dodger gear? I'm like, I wanna go to Korea and do that. Jennifer's like, okay. It'd be so fun. We can surf Korea. We can go to Jeju Island. We can do all this stuff. And I'm like, that's about eight grand. Mm." Well, with eight grand, I can go to four to three times to see my grandkids next year. That's what I'm gonna do. I'll watch Shohei Hotani on TV. Right? That's how you figure out your bucket list. I've never surfed the Great Lakes. I want to surf the Great Lakes. I think this is the year I'm going to go surf Lake Michigan. It's on my bucket list. There's only two states I've never been to, North Dakota and Alaska. Huh? Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know be kind of cool stuff when you turn like, oh, all 50 states. Think about, Think about it. Yeah? Am I giving you creative ideas and thoughts? Think about it. If it's your last year, what do you want to do? What's the Lord calling you to do? Think about it. The past is the past, and we say yes. We learn lessons, and we have a legacy from the past, and God was faithful. The future is the future, and it requires vision and passion and and just a zeal for life. God just loves it when we're passionate for him and his kingdom, and it requires a zeal for life. Get a vision for the new. Have clarity of purpose for eternal things, and go get it. And as you do so, just remember this that God has a place for both those wonderful memories of the past, of his faithfulness, to work with the unknown and the steps of faith for the future. And, but if, if, we only, if we only live for the future and we don't learn from the past, then we're missing something. And if we don't respect the past and the value of the past. And if we only live in the past, then we don't ever move forward toward the future. We all know people that are stuck in the past, right? So we, we want to just say, yeah, we appreciate the past. Lord Jesus, thank you for your past faithfulness. Thank you for these memories, even the things that hurt. Because, you know, in the end of the year, you take inventory. there's, There's things that hurt. Life is hard. There's things that hurt. There's testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy. And when I think about the past, there's things that hurt. And I just embrace it all as part of the legacy of God's faithfulness to me. But I look to that future with passion and vision and excitement for the new adventures God has for us. Like the Chronicles of Narnia, just another chronicle waiting to be written. And I want to go get it. And I want to go be a part of it. But I'm not going to be in Korea in March. But I've been with the grandkids three times in, in, through the course of the year. So figure out what it is that's really in your heart. Figure out what it is that the Lord's putting on your heart. And it was the great missionary, uh, William Carey, that said this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Be great. Be great, because God's great. Get some greatness from the Lord. Get a vision for greatness. Get stirred up for greatness and decide you want greatness with the Lord and get out for it like it's the last year of your life because it certainly could be. It goes by so quick, doesn't it? Body of Christ, worship generation, be encouraged for getting those things that are behind but still kind of remembering them and knowing God's faithfulness and pressing on what lies ahead to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are on December 30th, 2023. And when I see you next time, It'll be 2024. So I'll say it right now. Happy New Year, WG. Let's go get it.